Rubber Soul was an indication of the way things were going to go. It's one of my favorite albums. I think it's a great album. the sixth Beatles album, the first where the lads were in complete creative control, and it marked the beginning of the band's most experimental period, an album that changed how records were produced and the role of musicians as creative artists. This is the story of Rubber Soul, released 55 years ago on December 3, 1965. Beatlemania effectively ended on that date. While the Beatles continued to be incredibly popular, the release of Rubber Soul was a sign that these mop tops the world had come to love over the past couple of years since they'd made history with their Ed Sullivan show appearances were gone and replaced by four grown men. The songs demonstrate the Beatles' increasing maturity as lyricists and their incorporation of brighter guitar tones and new instrumentation such as sitar and harmonium, with the group striving for more expressive sounds and arrangements for their music. Here's what John, Paul, and Ringo had to say about the approach to the album and how the band had evolved artistically by the time they went into the studio. Rubber Soul really was a matter of having all experienced the recording studio, and having grown musically as well, but mainly having experienced the studio and knowing the possibilities. We always wanted every single record to have a different sound. We never wanted to get trapped in this Vermersey beast. Our whole attitude was changing. We'd grown up a little. I think Grass was really influential in a lot of our changes, especially with, with the writers. The boys did like the cannabis. The project marked a progression in the band's treatment of the album format as an artistic platform, an approach they continued to develop with Revolver and Sgt. Pepper's. Most of the songs on Rubber Soul were composed soon after the Beatles returned to London following their August 1965 North American tour. The album reflects the influence of their month in North America. Aside from setting a new attendance record when they played to over 55,000 people at the famous Shea Stadium show, the tour allowed the band to meet Bob Dylan in New York and their longtime hero Elvis in Los Angeles. Although they had released their album Help that same month, the requirement for a new album in time for Christmas was in keeping with the schedule established back in 1963 by Brian Epstein, their manager. Rubber Soul incorporates a mix of pop, soul, and folk musical styles. The title derives from the colloquialism Plastic Soul and was the Beatles' way of acknowledging their lack of authenticity compared to the black soul artists they admired. After A Hard Day's Night in 1964, it was the second Beatles LP to contain only original material. And for the first time in their career, they were able to record an album free of concert, radio, or film commitments. The recording sessions took place in London over a four-week period, just four weeks, beginning in October of 1965 at EMI Studios, now Abbey Road Studios, with final production and mixdown taking place the following months. The sessions were held over 13 days and totaled just 113 hours. During the sessions, the Beatles typically focused on fine-tuning the arrangements for each song, an approach that reflected the growing division between the band as a live act and their ambitions as recording artists only. 
The album was one of the first projects that George Martin undertook after leaving EMI's staff and co-founding Associated Independent Recording, AIR. Martin later described Rubber Soul as, quote, the first album to present a new growing Beatles to the world, adding, for the first time we began to think of albums as art on their own, as complete entities. By the time of Rubber Soul, they were ready for new musical directions. In the early days, they were very influenced by American rhythm and blues, and then, as time went on, other influences became apparent. Classical influences and modern music. That was from 1965 and beyond. Ringo says we were all open to anything. You could walk in with an elephant as long as it was going to make a musical note. Anything was viable. Our whole attitude was changing. We'd grown up a little, I think. The experimentation was reflected in the lyrics. Gone were the expressions of puppy love found in the earlier work, replaced by more adult ideas, particularly in John Lennon's songs. Norwegian Wood, for example, was an admission that he'd had an affair. Nowhere Man continued the introspection of help, and the last verse of Girl was a comment on Christianity. But the biggest leap of all took place in a song that ranks among Lennon's best. In my life, he said, was, I think, my first real major piece of work. Up until then, it had been glib and throwaway. It was the first song that I wrote that was really consciously about my life. It started out as a bus journey from my house on Menlove Avenue to town. I had a complete set of lyrics naming every site. It became In My Life, a remembrance of friends and lovers of the past. After setting it to the music, Lennon felt in my life needed something beyond the group's musical limitations, so he asked George Martin to play a Baroque-style piano solo. The part Martin wrote was a bit too complex for his own skill, however, and the solution was to slow down the tape and play the solo at half speed. The Beatles were so intrigued by the harpsichord-like sound that the piano took on when they did that that they began experimenting with tape speeds regularly to change the texture of instruments and voices, and that was kind of the beginning of what would come for the Beatles. John Lennon wasn't the only Beatle who was changing. Paul McCartney was quickly expanding his musical horizons too, adding jazzy chords to Michelle and fuzz bass to George Harrison's Think for Yourself. As for Harrison, his interest in the Indian culture led him to consider using the sitar on Norwegian wood. He says, I went and bought a sitar from a little shop at the top of Oxford Street called India Craft. It was a real crummy quality one actually, but I bought it and mucked about with it a bit. Anyway, we were at the point where we'd recorded the Norwegian Wood backing track and it needed something. He picks it up from there. When we were working on Norwegian Wood, it just needed something. I just picked the sitar up and kind of found the notes and I just kind of played it. He said the sitar was just lying around. He hadn't really figured out what to do with it. It was quite spontaneous. He said he found the notes, played the lick, it fit and it worked. As the band's main writers, Lennon and McCartney struggled to complete enough songs for the project. After a session in late October was cancelled due to a lack of new material, Martin told a reporter that he and the group, quote, hope to resume next week. So it was kind of up in the air. The Beatles completed Wait for the album, having taped the song's rhythm track during the sessions for Help in June of 1965. Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out were also recorded during the Rubber Soul sessions, but issued separately on a non-album single, although later releases of Rubber Soul included Day Tripper. For the first time, in order to avoid having to promote the release with numerous television and radio appearances, the Beatles chose to produce film clips for the two songs, early music videos. Among the few interruptions to the intensive recording period for the album, the Beatles received their MBEs at Buckingham Palace in late October as well, from Queen Elizabeth, when they famously smoked the cannabis to steady their nerves. While Martin recalled the whole period as having been, quote, a very joyful time, the sessions revealed the first signs of artistic conflict between Lennon and McCartney, which, from an artistic standpoint, can be a good thing. 
But there was also friction within the band that was revealed as more effort was spent on perfecting each song. This also manifested in a struggle over which song should be the A-side of their next single, with Lennon insisting on Day Tripper, publicly contradicting EMI's announcement about the upcoming release. In addition, a rift was growing between McCartney and his bandmates as he continued to abstain from trying LSD. The revelations provided by the drug had drawn Lennon and Harrison closer together, and they were shared by Starr when, during the band's stay in Los Angeles that August, he'd agreed to try LSD for the first time. Touching on some of the highlights of the album, Drive My Car is a McCartney composition with substantial contribution from Lennon with the lyrics. Harrison, as the Beatles' most knowledgeable soul music enthusiast, contributed heavily to the recording by suggesting they arrange the song with a dual guitar-bass riff in the style of Otis Redding's single, Respect. The lyrics convey an actress's desire to become a film star and her promise to the narrator that he can be her chauffeur. Author and critic Kenneth Womack describes the lyrics as being, quote, loaded with sexual innuendo, and he says that the female protagonist challenged the gendered expectations of a mid-60s pop audience as an every woman with ego and a clear agenda. Norwegian Wood, subtitled This Bird Has Flown, Lennon wrote that about an extramarital affair. He worded the narrative to hide the truth from his wife Cynthia. The lyrics sketch a failed meeting between the singer and a mysterious girl where she goes to bed and he sleeps in the bath. The next morning, the singer lights a fire in the fireplace. It's unclear whether the singer is just observing the fire and reflecting on the, quote, hip modern furnishings, or as Paul McCartney later claimed, the singer decides to burn down her home. You Won't See Me, later made a hit as a cover by Anne Murray in Canada, was written by McCartney. It reflects the difficulties he was experiencing in his relationship with actress Lady Jane Asher due to her refusal to put her acting career second to his needs. McCartney described its music as, quote, very Motown-flavored with a feel inspired by Motown bassist James Jamerson, one of McCartney's chief influences in constructing his bass lines, by the way. The verses use the same chord sequence as the Four Tops hit It's the Same Old Song. John Lennon recalled that Nowhere Man came to him fully formed one night while he was at home, after he'd struggled to write anything for several hours. The song reflects the existential concerns raised by his experiences with LSD, and like I'm a loser and help, his self-loathing during a time he later called his, quote, Fat Elvis period. It was the first Beatles song to completely avoid boy-girl relationships. Michelle was conceived by McCartney in the late 1950s. During a writing session for Rubber Soul, Lennon added a new section, part of which was taken from Nina Simone's recent cover of I Put a Spell on You. The song was another example of the Beatles' comedy song, so-called, approach, which in an interview at the time, McCartney suggested was a possible new direction for the band. John Lennon said he wrote Girl about an ideal woman he had in mind that he'd been searching for, and he'd finally find, to his mind, in Yoko, who he'd meet a year after Rubber Soul was recorded. The song was the final track recorded for the album. McCartney recalled that he and Harrison sang Tit 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 to capture the, quote, innocence of the Beach Boys singing La 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 in one of the songs that they'd recently released at the time. Back to In My Life for a moment, Paul McCartney claims to have written much of the melody. He said the song's musical inspiration came from Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Author Jonathan Gould suggested the song, quote, owed a conscious debt to the Miracles hit The Tracks of My Tears and thereby served as, quote, the most recent installment in the lively cultural exchange between Motown's Hitsville Studios and EMI's Abbey Road. George Harrison wrote If I Needed Someone as a love song to Patty Boyd, the English model to whom he'd become engaged in December 1965, uh, later to cheat 
on George with Eric Clapton, his best friend. George would be at their wedding when she married. It's a whole scene as far as that's concerned. But the song uses Rickenbacker 12-string guitar, and the Beatles use that, returning the compliment paid to them earlier in 1965 by the Birds, whose famous jangly guitar bass sound Roger McGuinn had sourced from George Harrison's playing the previous year. John Lennon wrote Run For Your Life based on Baby Let's Play House, which was one of Elvis's early singles on the Sun record label. Lennon retained a line from the Presley track, quote, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than be with another man. The lyrical theme is jealousy, and Lennon later disavowed the song as a misogynistic piece. Performed in the country style, it was the first track recorded for the album. And Day Tripper, which was finally released on the album yesterday and today the following year, it was released in conjunction with Rubber Soul as a double A-side single, the other side being We Can Work It Out. It was included in later releases of Rubber Soul. Under the pressure of needing a new single for the Christmas market, John Lennon wrote much of the music and most of the lyrics, while Paul McCartney worked on the verses. Day Tripper was a typical play on words by Lennon. Quote, day trippers are people who go on a day trip, right? Usually on a ferry boat or something. But the song was kind of, you're just a weekend hippie, get it? In his famous 1970 interview with Rolling Stone, Lennon used Day Tripper as one example of the Lennon-McCartney collaboration where one partner had the main idea, but the other one took up the cause and completed it. For his part, McCartney claimed it was very much a collaboration based on Lennon's original idea. McCartney said that Day Tripper was about drugs and a, quote, tongue-in-cheek song about someone who was committed only in part to the idea. The line recorded as She's a Big Teaser was originally written as She's a Prick Teaser. Paul said, quote, Day Tripper was to do with tripping. Acid was coming in on the scene. And often we do these songs about the girl who thought she was it. But this was just a tongue-in-cheek song about someone who was a day tripper, a Sunday painter, a Sunday driver, someone who was committed only in part to the idea, whereas we saw ourselves as full-time trippers, fully committed drivers. Critical response to Rubber Soul was highly favorable. Alan Evans of the NME wrote that the band was still finding different ways to make us enjoy listening to them and described Rubber Soul as, quote, a fine piece of recording artistry and adventure in group sound. Another magazine called Rubber Soul, quote, unbelievably sensational, a work on which the Beatles were once again setting trends in the world of pop. Newsweek called the Beatles, quote, the bards of pop, saying that the album's combination of gospel, country, Baroque counterpoint, and even French popular ballads lent the band a unique style in which their songs were, quote, as brilliantly original as any written today. The writers of the Record Mirror's initial review found that the LP was lacking in some of the variety of the Beatles' previous releases, but also said, quote, One marvels and wonders at the constant stream of melodic ingenuity stemming from the boys, both as performers and composers. Keeping up their pace of creativeness is quite fantastic. Rubber Soul was highly influential on the Beatles' peers, leading to a widespread focus away from singles and onto creating albums of consistently high-quality songs. It's been recognized by music critics as an album that opened up the possibilities of pop music in terms of lyrical and musical scope, and as a key work in the creation of styles such as psychedelia and prog rock. As Kenneth Womack wrote on Salon.com, quote, For the Beatles and the world, Rubber Soul marked a watershed moment, an unmistakable harbinger for innovative and even more provocative works of musical art. Take the LP's eye-catching cover photograph by Robert Freeman. Shot on the grounds of Kenwood, Lennon's English estate, the photo was intentionally distorted at the band's request. In itself, Womack says the warped vision of the four Beatles on the cover was a hint of things to come, an arresting and skewed image of ambiguity for a new musical age.
The Beatles' rubber soul found the Beatles changing the way music was made forever, and in retrospect, offering a glimpse of the way they'd push the boundaries creatively in the studio for the remainder of their time together. And it becomes the latest inductee into the drive rock of fame. I'm Kelly Parker.